right. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. We're, who here was um, who was here last night? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Those were some powerful messages. Um, so I'm glad you guys came in for round two. Um, last night was for inspiration, and today we want to kind of get real practical, start figuring out how we walk out um, this kingdom impact idea. Uh, my name is Jill Wellbaum. I know in your brochures and on the on the boards out there it said Jill Marshall, um, but I actually got married last Saturday. <laughs> That's my husband, Don, in the back. He's helping me out today. <laughs> now that we're married, he gets recruited to help. <laughs> we, we put him to work. Um, but I'm so excited that you guys are here. Um, let me just start um, by opening us up in prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you uh, so much for this time together. I thank you for uh, Kensington and how they want to invest in us as leaders. They want to invest in us as followers of you. And Lord, I just pray that during this session, as we press into what's in our hands, Lord, I pray that you just speak to each one of us. Help us to just really know and appreciate how you've uniquely designed us, created us, crafted us, and gifted us for your glory. Father God, Lord, you have given us so many blessings to share with the world. So Father God, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So who here has a dream or a passion in your heart? Okay. Because I believe that God put it there for a reason. And whoever in this room doesn't know what that is yet, I believe that God brought you here for a reason, this session. Because we're going to discover it today or get you, on the, get you on the path to discovering what that is. Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to live out your passion. And we're going to look at how David began living out his own. But before that, I just want to reiterate what we've been talking about at this conference, that each one of us, each one of you, has been uniquely created, uniquely crafted, and uniquely gifted by God. We've been crafted in, created in his image. We've been crafted for his kingdom impact, and we have been gifted for his glory. So Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. And the New Living Translation uses the word masterpiece. And I love that. A masterpiece is a work of outstanding artistry, workmanship, and skill. You are a masterpiece. Your husband or wife, they are masterpieces. Your kids, they are masterpieces. Your family, your friends, your coworkers, they're masterpieces. I know there's days it doesn't seem like it, but it is true. And the people that you meet every day, the people that you interact with, the people that you see, they are masterpieces as well. Not only are we God's works of outstanding artistry and skill, but each one of us has been created for a purpose. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God had a purpose for you in mind from the very beginning, and he keeps that purpose in mind as he guides you, as he shapes you, as he uses you, as he directs you along your path. I'm reading a book called Soul Print by Mark Batterson. And in that book, he says, there has never been and never will be anyone else like you. But that isn't a testament to you. It's a testament to the God who created you. You are unlike anyone else who's ever lived. But uniqueness, it isn't a virtue. It's a responsibility. Uniqueness is God's gift to you, and uniqueness is your gift to God. You owe it to yourself to be yourself, but more important, you owe it to the one who designed you and destined you. You have a unique design and identity. It's what makes you you. You also have a unique destiny to fulfill in the world that no one else can. You play an irreplaceable role in God's story, just like David did. So here's my picture of David and Goliath. <laughs> and it's the story in 1 Samuel 17. Um, we see this story, and I'm sure many of you, most of you are familiar with it. In the story where David defeats Goliath, we have the Philistine army up on one hill, we have the Israelites on another, and we have this huge um, valley in between. 
The Philistines are very strong and powerful, and to make matters worse, they have this secret weapon called Goliath, and he is this huge warrior. He stands 10 feet tall. He's carrying armor and a spear that weigh 140 pounds, right? So that's pretty strong to lug that around. And Goliath was taunting the Israelites. He was challenging them to send someone to fight. Whoever lost was going to become slaves to the other. Saul and the Israelite army, they were terrified. And this taunting went on day after day after day. And they became more and more afraid, more and more distressed, because they didn't have anybody who could take on this warrior Goliath. So while all of this was happening, a man named Jesse sends his youngest son David out to the front lines. David is the youngest of eight, and his three oldest brothers are at the front, front lines in the army. So David would go back and forth between being a shepherd in the field to being a gopher for his dad. But this time was different because when David got to the front lines, he saw Goliath taunting the Israelites. He saw the soldiers running away in fear and something started to rise up in David. At first it was kind of interest, it was kind of curiosity, a little bit of self-interest because these guys had been talking about the rewards that the guy was going to get whoever defeated Goliath. Sounded pretty good. But then that interest started to bubble up into a, a discontent, a righteous anger, right? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? How dare he threaten God's people? And now Eliab, who was David's oldest brother, when he hears David starting to get involved, he's starting to talk to the soldiers, he's starting to kind of get angry about the situation, he gets angry. And he's like, David, why are you here? You're just a shepherd. The Bible says he even says, you're conceited and wicked to think you can even help in here. Just go home. Go back to your sheep. And I'm sure that David heard things like that all his life. You're too young. You're too weak. You're just a shepherd. You don't belong here. There's no way that you can make a difference. Have you ever had someone put you down? Make you feel small? Make you feel important? Make you feel too young, make you feel too old, make you feel like you're not smart enough, like your voice doesn't matter, your dreams don't matter, right? That doesn't feel good. But the truth is, is that those are lies from the enemy. That is not what God says about us. That is not what God's word says about us. And we need to know and embrace and internalize God's truth about us so that it fortifies us against those lies from the enemy and those negative voices about others, from others. David didn't let those lies hold him back. And instead, he says to Saul in verse 32, don't lose heart, I'll go fight him. And he truly believed he could win. He knew he had God's help. He had passion and courage bubbling up from within him. Now Saul, Saul wasn't as sure as David was. He had a lot of doubts. After all, David was young and, and small, and he was inexperienced. And here Goliath, the Bible says, had been a warrior since he was a youth. But David was like, I can do this. I have experience. I've killed lions and bears with my bare hands to protect my sheep. I have God with me. This Philistine is going to be no different. The same Lord who rescued me then is going to rescue me now. And David's convincing here is key because he didn't focus on what he lacked. He focused on what he had. Experience with lions and bears, the Lord with him, and so he was ready to fight. So Saul says, okay, you can fight. He didn't really have a choice, did he? So David wants, or Saul wants to help David out. He gives him his tunic, he gives him his armor, he gives him his helmet, and here's poor David, and he can barely even walk around in this stuff let alone fight in it. It's too big, it's too heavy, it's not right for him. It just doesn't fit. And I think about him putting on all of Saul's armor as like putting on a false identity. And they just weren't who he was. David wasn't a warrior. He was a shepherd. So David took off the armor and he went into the battle as himself. And he was armed with only what he had in his hand. He had experience, he had a slingshot, and he had five small stones. Now it was Goliath's turn to have some doubts. He's kind of looking at him and he's like, who's this kid coming at me with sticks and stones? Ha, 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 right? But you guys know the story. The stones were all he needed to kill the Goliath 
and to rescue the Israelites from the Philistines. He had exactly what he needed in his hand. And what I love about it is that he had five stones, but he killed them with the first shot. As small as that looked, it was more than enough. He really only needed the one. And what we've been talking about all this weekend is how each one of us has been created and crafted and equipped for kingdom impact. An impact that is uniquely designed for you and you have incredible gifts to share with the world to make the world a better place. And it starts by looking at what is in your hands. So think about the stones that David had and how they were all he needed for that impact. He didn't envy or need what anybody else had. So often, we focus on what we lack. We think about, if only these stones were a giant sword, then I could really be a warrior for God. If only I had what she has, I could do what she does. If only I had what he has, I could do what he does. David didn't envy or need what others had. Instead, he had enough. He was enough. And the same is true for you and me. David could have compared himself to his brothers. He could have compared himself to Saul. He could have compared himself to Goliath and really been discouraged, really just given up, right? Because how would he ever measure up to that? But instead, he focused on what he had. He had a passion to serve God. He had experience with lions and bears. He had a slingshot and some stones and faith that God could use that in incredible ways. So what has God given you to share his love with the world? What has he placed in your hands that if used by God could slay giants, could reach the lost, could make dreams come true? When I think about the resources in our hands, the first thing that comes to mind are tangible resources. I think about things like money or cars or vehicles and so on. Things, things possessions, right? Things we can touch. Our culture places a lot of value on wealth and really our, our human nature does as well. Wealth can feel like status. It can feel like power. It can feel like worthiness, security, and self-control or end control. And it can be difficult to give that away. Even as Christians, it can be, we can sometimes rationalize against being generous, calling it good stewardship. Like we have to hold on to what we have. And I admit that this is a difficult area for me. It has been. When I was in the corporate world, I had a big high-pressure job, and I had the paycheck to match. I wasn't rich, but I could afford what I needed. I could um, splurge when I wanted, and I could be generous when I chose to be. As I came to know Christ, I began to learn how to steward my resources more his way, saving, spending, giving for his glory. But then over time, a recession hit. I lost my job. I lost my savings. And then I almost lost my house. And then when it, that happened, I also lost my sense of security and my sense of control. And it was then that I realized that although I believed in Christ, I was depending on me. I was depending on myself, and it didn't work. Instead, I needed to learn how to surrender my resources and trust him for provision and security and give him room to work, right? Rather than going back into the corporate world, I actually pursued my passion for missions. I moved to South Africa, and we founded a nonprofit there. I lived there for six years. And somehow, right, somehow, I was able to live off of less than I used to tithe when I was here. And not only could I live off of that, but I had extra. I had more than enough that I was able to sow into the ministry there. And now that I'm back in the U.S., God continues to remind me to trust him for provision, to live open-handedly with what he's given me. If our fists are clenched, holding on to what we have, not only is God not able to use it for his kingdom impact, but he's not able to put more into our hands. So we need to be generous. We need to live open-handedly with what's in our hand, including our resources. David had a slingshot and five stones in his, hand, in his hands, and God used them to slay a giant. But there's so many other examples in the Bible where God used a seemingly insignificant resource to do incredible, amazing things. And one of those stories is the story of the widow's oil in 2 Kings 4. Anybody familiar with that story? So in this story, 
A woman comes to Elisha and she is desperate. Her husband's died, she's got creditors knocking on the door, and they actually want to take her sons into slavery because she can't pay his debts. So she comes to Elisha. And God, through Elisha, asks, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And with that simple question, what do you have in your house, God's telling her, and he's telling us, that we need to take an inventory. Don't focus on what we think we lack, but instead take an inventory of what we have. And look at her reply. She obviously thinks very little of what she has. She thinks she has nothing, or at least nothing useful. Look, your servant has nothing at all except a small jar of oil. Yet it's through that small jar of oil, that seemingly insignificant resource, that God does a miraculous thing. They multiply the oil, they sell it off, they pay the, debt, the creditors, and not only does she have enough for the debt, but she has more than enough. The Bible says she's able to live off the rest. So he was able to use what's in her, hand, what, for, in her hands. So through this session, what we're going to do is we're going to start taking inventories together. You have sheets, um, pages in your handouts, and I want to use those sheets to capture whatever comes to mind starting with your resources. So the question I have for you is what tangible resources do you have in your hands? What are the obvious ones? What are the not so obvious ones that you haven't thought of? And I'm gonna give you just a few, few seconds, half a minute or so, to jot down everything that comes to mind, tangible resources. And I don't want you to worry about how it can be used, can it be used? That's something that you can press into and pray about later. For now, I just want to brainstorm the possibilities and to kind of hear from God. So, what tangible resources do you have in your hands? Go ahead and jot them down. Okay, so hopefully that got you started. Who here thinks they have the most things written down? I know you only had a short amount of time. Three, three things. Raise your hand if you have three things. Five things. Eight things. More than eight things. Awesome. We want to start brainstorming the possibilities. Who here thinks they might have the most unusual thing written down or something that nobody else does? Yes. A radio station. A radio station. <laughs> Who here has a radio station? <laughs> what else? Who has something unusual? Yes? A second, a second language. Okay, absolutely. Anybody else? Something <laughs> unusual, yes? Time. time, okay. All right, awesome, awesome. Because these are things that God can use for his glory. So besides the resources, the tangible resources, um, we also have strengths and skills and talents. Things that you do naturally, things that you do well, and things that you've learned and developed over time. Maybe you're good with money. Maybe you're good with business endeavors. Maybe you're good at managing projects, leading people. Maybe you're a musician or a teacher or a writer. And I'm not just talking at your job. I'm talking about the things that you're good at. Maybe you're a good listener, <coughs> encourager, host. Maybe you're good with your hands and you can fix anything. I can't fix anything. Maybe you are good with kids, or you can cook, bake, decorate, create a warm environment. All of those are gifts that God can use. Now, in Soul Print, Mark Batterson also talks about how oftentimes our greatest strengths or skills are kind of birthed out of what we perceive to be a disadvantage or a weakness. Not that we're trying to get, like there's something we're bad at, we try to get better and better and better at it, but instead we kind of go a different route. We try to overcome it by compensating it with another skill. That success isn't achieved despite our weaknesses. Success is actually achieved because of them if we learn to leverage them. And he gives the example of how as a preacher, he's never been comfortable preaching on the fly or preaching from an outline. He writes his messages out. And he always felt like as a preacher that kind of made him like not as good as the other people that he saw. 
But over time, as he, started to stop, as he stopped comparing himself to others, he started to realize that God was using that gift not only to make him a better preacher and teacher, but also to develop an incredible writing gift. And now he is a published author, so now he's doing multiple things for God's glory. Out of what he thought was actually a disadvantage, it turned out to be a great strength for him. Your destiny isn't just revealed in your natural gifts and abilities, it's also revealed in those compensating skills that you've developed to overcome what maybe you thought was a disadvantage. Maybe you thought you got a bad hand, you know, the short end of the stick, but you've developed these skills and now they can be used by God. Think about David as he faced Goliath. Here he's the youngest and he's the smallest in his family. He's just a shepherd. On paper, every single person at the front lines, everybody was more qualified than David, more trained, more equipped than David. He didn't know how to use a sword. All he had been doing all his life was tending sheep. But that perceived disadvantage turned out to be the very advantage he needed to defeat Goliath. Because if you think about it, he was this huge warrior, well-trained. There was going to be no one who was going to be able to take this guy on in hand-to-hand -hand combat. There was no one who was going to run up to him with a sword and take him down. The only way to beat him was with that slingshot and was from that distance. So David appeared unqualified and he appeared unprepared, but he was uniquely qualified to be used by God. Talk about kingdom impact, right? So thinking about your greatest strengths, skills, and talents, what are they? And then what are the ones that maybe seem not so great, not so glamorous, not so important, because they can be used by God as well? He wants to use all of your skills and abilities to catapult you into kingdom impact. So with that, for the next few seconds or so, I want you to write down everything that comes to mind. Strengths, skills, talents, abilities. And again, don't worry about how God's going to use them, if he's going to use them. Just hear from him and brainstorm all of the possibilities. I'll just give you a few seconds to do that. Okay, who here thinks they have the most things written down? He's still writing even. How many did you write down? Uh, Roughly. 18, 17, 4, 27. Awesome. Use the margins if you need to. Use the backs of the paper. Awesome. And who here thinks they might have an unusual, the most unusual skill, talent? Yes. Street smarts. Ah, okay. Who else? Yes. ADHD. Okay. Absolutely. It can be perceived as a, as a strength or a weakness. How do you want to look at it? Strength. Right? Absolutely. Who else? Who else? Yes. I work with demons and I say I'm a good cat herder. Cat herder. There you go. Absolutely. I love how you guys are kind of thinking outside <laughs> of the box. And I hope you're getting a glimpse of how truly amazing and blessed you are. So next, I want to talk about your heart. Who do you love? What do you love? What do you hate? And how can your heart guide you in living out who God created you to be? So for starters, God's purpose for our lives can be summed up in the greatest commandment. Who can tell us what it is? The greatest commandment. Okay. Love God, love others. Absolutely. So when, a, teacher, when a, a person asked Jesus the same question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything that we find in the word of God, the law and the prophets, hangs on the commandment to love. And I think of it like a clothesline with everything that we say and everything that we think and everything that we do hanging, oops, hanging on this clothesline to love, this commandment to love. And without love, it's like snipping that line and everything falling into the dirt. The Bible says it means nothing. 
So here we have this commandment to love God and to love others. So with that, back to our inventories, I just want to start with this first question. Who has God placed on your heart to love? Who do you love? Go ahead and jot it down. These could be specific people you do life with. These could be entire people groups that you love or have a heart for, but you don't necessarily know or know yet or anywhere in between. Go ahead and write down whomever comes to mind. Who has God placed on your heart to love? So, also associated with your heart are your passions and your interests. What fills your heart with joy and what fills your heart with anger and frustration as even a holy discontent. Those passions that are within you are part of who God created you to be. And they can help you chart a course for living out your unique destiny, your unique design in the world. So here's going to be some more questions to consider when taking an inventory of what God has put in your heart and your hands by way of your heart. And as I go through them, I am just going to pause um, for a few seconds so you can write down what comes to mind right on your sheets. Okay? So the first question is not who, but what. What do you love to do and what gives you the greatest joy? Maybe you love building things or building community or building bridges between races or cultures or whatever. What do you love to do and what gives you the greatest joy? Next question, what beauty in the world encourages your heart? What makes your heart sing? Is it seeing youth inspired to pursue their dreams? Or people triumphing over addiction? Is it city people getting out into the great outdoors and realizing there's a green world out there? What beauty encourages your heart? Next question, what brokenness in the world breaks your heart? Does your heart break for orphans or abused children, single moms, struggling seniors, the homeless? What brokenness in the world breaks your heart? Go ahead and jot a few things down. <coughs> And what problem makes you angry, frustrated? What's a problem in the world that you really want to see fixed? Does it have to do with clean water, education, human trafficking, Michigan roads? <laughs> what problem makes you angry? And then this is a fun one. If money wasn't an issue, what would you do? And the sky's the limit here on this one. What dream has God placed in your heart? If you didn't have to worry about money, if you didn't have to worry about how you were going to do it, right? Don't think of it as impossible. 
What dream has he put on your heart? Do you want to start something, build something? Do you want to write something, create something? What is that dream? Do you want to end something? What is your dream? Because these people you love, these things you love to do, these causes that, that encourage you and inspire you and break you, these are all things that God has placed in your heart. These are things that he's placed in your hands by way of your heart. So let's hear from a few of you, just in a few words or less, what do you love to do or gives you the greatest joy? Somebody. Yes. Hiking. Hiking. Awesome. Who else? What do you love to do? Fish. Awesome. Who else? Yes. In the back. Absolutely. Awesome. And the, was there something over here? Did I hear something? Sleep in. God might, now God can use that. Seriously, seriously. So now, what breaks your heart or what is a problem you want to see fixed? What kind of holy discontents do we have in the room? Yes. Hungry. Hunger. Actually, my stomach's growling right now. Yes. The foster system. Okay. Who else? Yes. Racism. Okay. God has put, yes, in the back? Broken marriages. Yes. Okay. God has put these in you for a reason. And sometimes it's hard to kind of figure out what to do about it, but there's ways to kind of start to wade into that and figure out small steps until he makes the bigger picture clear. All of those things are in your heart for a reason. So thank you guys so much for sharing. So in your hand, you have resources, strengths, skills, talents. You have people and passion and causes that God has placed on your heart, and these are unique to you. These are equipping you to go out into the world and have a kingdom impact. Also unique to you is your path or your sphere of influence. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will direct your paths. And then Proverbs 16, 9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. God has you on a path for kingdom impact. And he dots that path with people to meet, people to love, lessons to learn, needs to meet, opportunities to take, decisions to make. He's dotting the course of your path. The people that you interact with, the people that you have the opportunity to interact with are all on that path you're on and that path has been designed by God. They matter, right? That path is dotted with masterpieces that God wants to know his love. So with that, we talked about God's overriding mission for our lives. We've talked about the greatest commandment being to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we know that we can't love God if we don't love others. And when we love others, we're also loving God. The commandments are intertwined. So our mission seems straightforward enough, right? Love God, love others. But it gets a little bit more challenging when we ask that question, so who is our neighbor? Now in Luke 10, they ask Jesus the same question, who is our neighbor? And when he answers that question, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. How many are familiar with that story, right? We've heard it taught a whole bunch of different ways. In the story, a Jewish man is attacked and robbed and left for dead, right? And a, a priest and a Levite both come by and neither one of them stopped to help their fellow Jew, right? They know, what the, they know God's commandment to love God, love others, but they let their religious rules get in the way, and they don't help their fellow Jew. Next, a Samaritan comes by. And what's important to know there is that Samaritans and Jews despised each other. They would go out of their way to avoid each other. But yet it's the Samaritan that stops to help. He interrupts his own journey. He takes care of the man. He takes him um, for, uh, to, um, to a place to be cared for, and he pays for the continued care. So he goes above and beyond to help this guy. 
With this, we have an incredible picture of what it looks like to love our neighbors, right? We have the how. But the question posed to Jesus was who? Who is my neighbor? And with this story, right, he could have answered it all kinds of different ways. Choosing to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, <laughs> Jesus is telling us that our neighbor is actually someone very different from us. Our neighbor is someone that we might not be comfortable with. We might struggle to relate to. Our neighbor is someone who we might have been taught to hate, conditioned to hate, or told that they hate us, right? Because that's what was going on at the time. So with that, right, and Jesus is saying, be like that Samaritan, go and do likewise. With that, I want to look at those inventories again. We've already talked about who God has placed on your heart, right? The easy people to love, the people we know we love. But the next question is, who has God placed in your path? You may not love them yet, right? You may not know them yet. Who has God placed in your path that may need to know the love of Jesus? Where do you go each and every day? Where do you see God directing your path and what opportunities might there be for you to share the love of Christ? And even tougher, is there anyone in your path that you might try to avoid that you do try to avoid because you're uncomfortable, you're not sure what to do, you don't know what to say, right? Remember Brian's story about trying to uh, go meet the screaming homeless man, right? For the longest time, he was just an annoyance. And then finally, he's like, you know what? I'm going to go see him, and I'm going to go talk to him. Who on your path might you be trying to avoid because you're just not sure what to do or you're uncomfortable about it? I'm going to give you just a little bit of time to write down whomever comes to mind. Might be someone at work. Might be soccer moms and dads you see every week. Might be the homeless that you drive by. The hungry, hungry that you, you avoid thinking, oh, it's a racket. Right? Who in your path might God want to reach through you? So with that, does anyone want to share who they've written down anonymously, like not names, but, but who, who are some of the people that you think are on your path that God is, might want to reach through you? What are some examples? A co-worker, okay. Mm -hmm. Yes? I have a neighbor that's neighbor. right next door. Okay, neighbors, literal neighbors. The literal neighbors that you might not even know. I don't even know mine, and I think God keeps putting them on my heart as well. Who else? Who has God placed on your path that he might be calling you to reach? <coughs> yes. My sister. Your sister. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I hope you're realizing how much God has actually placed in your hand and are starting to kind of maybe think about how those dots might connect to, start to, to show you how you can actually step out um, for his kingdom impact. Next, we have your story. So you have resources, strengths, abilities, passions, but last but not least, you have your story. And I loved how Dave yesterday talked about how God had been with you from the very beginning. He had been alongside you. He had been shaping you ever since you were born and creating that story. And your story is amazing. And there is someone in your life that needs to hear your story. And I would be willing to bet that you even need to hear your story because you probably don't even realize how amazing it is. And I love this current series that we're in, this Sermon from the Seats, because we've been hearing story after story of how God has entered into a painful situation, how he's triumphed over that pain, how he's shaped and transformed, and he's, he's changed lives, and how now these... these um, Transformations are now becoming a gift for others, right? We had a man with a sick boy, lost his son, became someone who wanted to walk alongside others with chronic illnesses, right? He used that pain as a platform for power. 
Our pain has a way of, of, of transforming us like nothing else can in our lives, right? It draws us closer to God, and he does a work in us, right? But it also draws us closer to each other. We relate to each other. We develop empathy and compassion. We develop wisdom. We develop an ability to listen and encourage, right? All of that can come through our pain. This pain continuum is something that we kind of cover um, a little bit in our live training, but as long as we don't cover our pain, if we learn to confess it, just tell God the truth about how we're feeling, if we invite him in to heal that pain, we embrace it, we go through the healing um, of it, then it's gonna become a guide. It's gonna help lead us to people who are hurting the same way. Your story has the ability to touch someone uniquely your unique story and their unique situation. And we want to learn, we want to be bold about going out and sharing that and listening to theirs. It becomes this gift that we can give to others. And it becomes this gift that can help us have a kingdom impact. So lastly, on your inventory sheet, you'll see the words, my story. I just wrote it down. Um, it's something that you have in your hands. And I would encourage you to reflect on your story. I would encourage you to reflect on all that God has carried you through, all that he's done to shape you and strengthen you, everything he's done to make you who you are today. And then to ask God, who can I share that story with? Who could be touched by what I've gone through? Who could be encouraged by that? So before we close, I want to share a story of a boy who struggled to realize his own unique design and what God placed in his hands. So go ahead and take a look with me. I had a lot of rings from when I was a child. One that's always stuck out to me now was when I was about 10 years old, and I was in school, and I struggled. And I, I didn't struggle with any rings, math, or science. I struggled with it still. And I would try to listen and focus and process ideas, but I couldn't help myself. And to be honest, I would sit there, and then I would just start students in the classroom looking at me and say, hey, stop tapping. A lot of the time, I didn't even realize I was doing it. And then eventually there was teachers that asked me, and they would yell at me and say, Clint, you have to stop tapping. And God was so bad at it. And then I got stuck in the principal's office for tapping. And he said to me, okay, when you go back to class, just try sitting on your head. So I did. I went back to class, and when I felt myself starting to tap, I just, I did this. One time I was acting in class and my teacher, Mr. Jensen, looked at me and he yelled. And he said, Clint, stay after class. And I clasped my foot into the air. I am done. Now I've always been the type of person that believes that a single moment in time can change a person's life. And this was one of those moments for me. And I will never forget it. And so I was sitting there with Mr. Jensen and he made me watch him. He walked past me and he sat next to his desk and he said, Clint Smith, let me talk to you. And then he looked me right in the eye and he said, you know, I was thinking you know something about your troubles, but I do have this one question that I have to ask you. And he asked me, he said, have you ever thought about praying for drugs? And in that moment, Mr. Jensen, he leaned back and he opened his heart and he ordered his life. And he reached in and he pulled out my very first pair of drugs. And he held them in his hands and he looked at me and he said, Hey, Clint, do you have a problem? I love that. He's like, I don't think you're a problem. I think you're a drummer, right? 
And then from that, when, when Mr. Jensen saw that in Clint and spoke that into him, and he started to recognize that that distraction and that tapping wasn't a, a problem. It was his gift trying to get out, trying to figure out how to express itself, right? His life changed. And not only did it, that gift serve him well, right, put him through school, but at the end, now he's training kids, he's teaching kids. It's like, it's his gift. Any drummers in the house? Any drummers? Y'all are drummers in your own way, right? So with that, um, I loved also how he said he didn't want to be the best in the world. He wanted to be the best for the world. Because our gifts are for the world, right? And God wants to use them for his glory. So my prayer is that we all come to recognize how uniquely gifted and richly blessed we are, that we start to use those gifts for kingdom impact. And my prayer is that we not only have Mr. Jensen's in our lives, but that we be Mr. Jensen's in the lives of other people. So we have journeyed through a lot of questions today, and I hope that this is just the beginning. I hope that you see these inventories and the things you've written down and really realize how God has gifted you and focus on what you have in your hand, not the things that you lack. And then also press in more. Like keep asking God what else and ask God how do you want me to use these? Because the questions that we've been journeying today, um, our answers are all going to be different. Our answers are going to all be unique, and that's part of your unique destiny, your unique design, and the unique uh, kingdom impact that God wants to have through you. Just like David's five stones is what he had in his hand, and just like Clint's drumsticks, this is what God put in his hand, and he used them in miraculous ways. So we mustn't compare ourselves to others or be discouraged by what we think we lack, right? Because you've got this passion in your heart. And if this passion is like a fire in you, comparison and focusing on lack is like throwing a big old bucket of water on it and it's going to put it right out. I want you guys to just keep pressing into this and just keep fanning these flames and try to figure out how do I use my love of baking and my love of hiking and my desire to help seniors, how do I glue those all together and use them for the glory of God? Just keep pressing into that because they are uniquely in you for a reason. So taking a look at your inventories and what God placed in your hands, keep asking him questions and pressing in. Because what we have in our hands is God's gift to us, but what we do with it is God's gift to him, our gift to him. So with that, I had to add this slide in here from Brian last night, because the, one of the most um, transforming moments in his life was when someone told him, your paintings will take you where the gospel is not welcome. What you have in your hands may also be the thing that takes you where the gospel is not welcome. Yes, we're called to share the gospel, but we're also called to be the gospel, to go out there and to love others, love God, share our gifts with the world in every area that he has us in, in our unique design, in our unique destiny. When we do that, there's just nothing sweeter. When we have that kingdom impact, there's just it's nothing sweeter. It's what that abundant life is all about. So Father God, I Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the men and the women in this room. I thank you for everything that they have in their hands. Father God, Lord, I pray that you continue to show them what else they have and what else they have, such that that taking an inventory, that list is full to overflowing, that they need more and more pages. And Father God, Lord, I pray that you also help them to connect the dots. How do they use their tangible resources, their strengths, abilities, their passions, the people that they love, the people that they're not, in com they're not even comfortable with? How do they use their path and their sphere of influence and their stories, Lord, their amazing stories for your glory? Father God, Lord, I pray that you continue to speak. I pray that they have the courage to step out in small steps, in big steps, confident that you are with them. Father God, Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we close, I just want to share a couple more things. If this was interesting to you, if you want to press in more into your unique design, into your destiny, into how God may want to use your story to show you your unique design and to use you in the world, we encourage you to check out our live training. Live training, we don't want you to just live your lives. We want you to live them, exclamation point, right? That's how you know it's live and not live because I get mixed up myself. So live training is a five session class. Sometimes it's five, five weeks. Sometimes like we also have a March one that's all day Friday, all day Saturday and Monday. 
It's very important you're able to attend the whole thing. If you're going to miss any of it, wait to a future class because the sessions build. They're interactive for both you, the table leader, and the other people at your table. But it is a phenomenal class. Um, we cover week one, how to hear God's voice and know it's God speaking. Week two, we lean into destiny by un unpacking our stories, listening to each other's stories, and speaking life, looking for glimpses of where God was working. We have a week of freedom where we start to combat the lies that we hear, the negative voices. We start to break, break down what's holding us back from living out our unique design. We learn how to love our neighbor's Samaritan style, and we kind of challenge ourselves as to what that looks like. And then we put a plan down to actually live it out intentionally. So here are the dates of our next classes. And if you go to our move out site, kensingtonchurch.org slash move out, you're going to see live training. So these next three classes and then any new ones as they get added, you can register here. If you have skills, if you have abilities, if you have passions and you want to start serving out in the community, I also want you to know that we have more than 40 move out teams that are already doing different things. Everything from helping kids with literacy to visiting seniors in nursing homes to coming alongside um, women who are coming out of, of trafficking. Um, we have people who are building cars, people who are building houses, and everything in between. So if you're interested in any of that, even to kind of test out, well, let's see, is that my gift? Do I enjoy that? Check out our teams, go to the Move Out Network. You can search, or you can just hit the search button and see them all. And then click and um, leaders will be um, in contact with you. And if any of you, if you don't see what you're looking for, but you have a heart for something and you want to lead a team out in the community doing something, contact us. Because we would love to talk with you about what it looks like to becoming a leader and leading a team of your own. So with that, I thank you. And I encourage you to just really embrace your unique giftedness.